Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What is going on, guys? Josh Salvo here. Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to uh, speak a little bit about our membership program that we created a little over six months ago at this point. Uh, if you're not familiar, what we did is we built this platform that gives members discounts of up to 50% off 90 plus startups. Many of these startups are the brands that we interview on this podcast. Um, So the reason we created the platform is really to help uh, outdoor enthusiasts discover new innovative startups really related to their favorite outdoor activities, whether it's skiing, climbing, hiking, camping, whatever, really, um, and be able to get a discount on them. So basically, in addition to that, you can also apply to become an ambassador for, for these brands um, all from one location. You can do it basically a click of a button. makes it super simple. Uh, we'll also showcase a lot of the new products that these brands are working on. Uh, you can get access to demo and trade show deals up to 60% off all of their stuff at the end of the season. Um, and lastly, we have a private Facebook group for everyone who participates uh, to get to know us and each other on a more personal level and really help us um, build the future for really the outdoor space and showcase new innovative brands. So if you want to check it out, head over to readyyeti.com slash members, and uh, you can get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast? This is Josh Salvo here to host today's episode. I'm down with one of the co-founders uh, of Narbox, Will Africano. Will, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Without a doubt. So uh, for the listener that may not be familiar with Narbox, uh, how would you best describe your business to someone who just uh, you strike up a conversation with, uh, like in a coffee shop or, or just, um, you know, out having a beer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at Narbox, our, our, our mission has always been to just make the creative process easier and we serve anyone with a camera. So, uh, you know, I definitely always describe it like, uh, we're in the camera industry for sure. Um, but our, our primary focus is providing, uh, camera users with a tool that allows them to backup, edit, and share in the field without a laptop. And that's exactly what Narbox does. That's really awesome. Now, how, how did you guys come up with this idea? So Tim and I, Tim's the other founder, we actually, we actually met through a friend uh, when I moved out to Los Angeles um, a number of years ago now. Jesus, this is my fifth year here. And uh, we, we met because we were both interested in skiing. And so we started skiing together, driving to and from uh, Mammoth Lakes, which is about a four and a half, five hour drive, you know, six or seven hours with traffic from Los Angeles. And we were doing this just about every weekend throughout that first winter. Um, and we were skiing and we were filming. And through those car rides, we started to kind of um, really assemble a list of problems that we had um, with the process of post-production in between these kind of adventurous, exhausting shoots and uh, the drives that were basically um, you know, where we were kind of going from the city where we had nine to fives in the mountains where we, you know, were enjoying and having this fun. And we were sitting in this car and we always had wires and computers and we're trying to actually get our files across all of the cards accumulated. And it just was so cumbersome. We started to come up with, um, you know, a list of solutions to those problems. And we went through a lot of different horrible ideas that eventually um, fizzled. And, and eventually, though, we came across through kind of networking and building with new technologists and meeting some engineers and talking about and learning how to develop ourselves 
um, we eventually settled on what we have today, which is Narbox. And um, it's a combination of hardware and software that works in a really compact fashion to be able to, as I said before, just replace the laptop entirely out of the equation, but can be thrown in a backpack that can be super rugged, it is incredibly powerful, that is focused on streamlining content creation and um, can just be charged off of a USB-C bank versus needing a power outlet to do the work. That's so interesting. Did you, do you and Tim, either of you have a technical background or how did you start building and prototyping the Narbox? Yeah, we don't have, a, we, neither of us had a technical background. Both of us spent a bunch of time in the early days learning to code and um, especially Tim really got into it. And so we started to prototype applications through web kind of client software. Um, and eventually when we got into hardware, we had more, we had other technical members of the team that had experience in that. And we began to um, we, we d- began to develop and prototype on off-the-shelf hardware. And really, like, the key to it all was just acknowledging that you knew very little and finding out <laughs> how, to, how to learn things or ask for help and, uh, or raise money and pay for help, um, obviously, eventually, what we had to do. But, yeah, it was, it was a long journey of, of trial and error. So how long was the actual journey from when you were taking those long car rides to Tim to then having that, um, the product, which is obviously now the Narbox? You know, it took almost three years, I'd say like two and a half, two to two and a half to really like hone in and start working hard to make it. We, we started shipping it in uh, March of um, 2017. And so it's, you know, it's February 2018 now. And we had launched our Kickstarter in 2015. So it took a while to get that out there. And we had already been working hard at prototyping it well before that Kickstarter. So, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a little over two years and of, of pretty hard work. Yeah, I can imagine, especially a product like this, which is pretty revolutionary, right? Like, so you, you solve a big problem that a lot of GoPro users have and really any camera user has, right? Especially if they want to edit on the fly. Um, so how did you go about... Uh, marketing it and really uh, gaining that sort of uh, validation in the market. I think that Kickstarter was definitely the solution to that. Um, at the time of starting Narbox, Kickstarter was a very popular platform for new startups to get validation and funding and to test a marketing platform. Now we developed that marketing platform and brought it to Kickstarter. And one of the key parts of it was, you know, partnering with influencers, um, presenting an action sports kind of environment that we were comfortable in and where we came from that was authentic to us and our story was definitely, um, you know, critical to our success, but also a tactic that was popular and commonplace at the time of our campaign a couple of years ago. So you, you guys raised over $540,000, which is pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely one of the most funded campaigns on Kickstarter. Um, at, was there anything, I'm sure it was a, a combination of things, but there were, were there one or two things that you did that really you feel um, were a huge part of that success? We just had a product that solved a real problem. That was probably first and foremost. That resonated with people. We offered people a really good deal, which is important to kind of innovators and early adopters that are on the Kickstarter platform. And then we presented it in a very, um, I just, you know, when I when I look back on that campaign, I think we presented it in an exciting but also um, 
true to the, the, the product and true to us. Like we really just kind of told the story of us and the product and, and you know, and it's shown. And like before, you know, Travis Rice was in there and he's incredible and he was an element to the success of the campaign without a doubt. Um, but and an incredible partner, by the way, to work with. Um, but he, uh, you know, we were, we were able to see sales before we even showed like promoted or had him on. Like I remember pushing the button and putting the Kickstarter campaign live in a test environment at about two in the morning, the day of after basically not sleeping for a week. And, uh, we saw people start backing the campaign and it was just people who were browsing international backers who were browsing Kickstarter, looking for new stuff. And that was a testament to just telling a good story and having a product product that solved the real problem. Yeah, no, I can totally imagine that. How did you guys get aligned with Travis Rice? You know, we, we were looking for someone to kind of help us tell our story and we wrote up an email and through a friend of a friend, we're able to get um, his agent's email address and we just kind of, said, hey, this is our story. This is what the problem we're trying to solve. It was, here's the technology. It was just written in an email. And he said, well, I think this is something he might be interested in. And uh, we got on the phone with him, or he read the email. He said, yeah, I'm interested in that. I want to get on the phone with these guys. He was like, as he typically is, off the grid somewhere, got on a sat phone. <laughs> and we, we, we pitched him the idea. And then, you know, when he did get back, then we met up with him, showed him the prototype. And um, he just was... I don't know, I was just excited and wanted to be a part of what we were working on. That's awesome. So how in, how do you and your partner really complement each other in, in growing uh, Norbox? Uh, yeah, so I, I, my background's mostly not in marketing, but on the consumer insights side of things. So um, I worked in the retail industry, but I also worked really in data gathering. And so a lot of the early uh, foundations of this company were based off of a Instagram community that we developed and kind of learning from them and gathering insights on what their problems were, how they consumed things, how they were fascinated, what their biggest problems were and what they thought those the solutions to those problems were. And, and through the process of gathering that information and interviewing people and doing it from a both, both a qualitative and a quantitative way, we were able to kind of create a product thesis and it's kind of a core essential building block of any product development scheme. Now there's a lot of other things that are required to actually make a product. And, you know, him came from a finance background and was really able to uh, dig into both his network and his use a skill set that he had honed for many years um, to raise money and capital on these ideas that we had basically only sculpted as an idea, right? And so <laughs> this will probably happen to a lot of people starting a company or a tech company is you have this great pitch deck and you don't really have this product and you need to basically get money to make the product. And so we did kind of a tag team uh, ability to, to, to take that on. And o- over the years now, as the company and the project and the product have grown, uh, we continue to kind of stay in those typical roles where you know, he's, he's overseen a lot of the investment and growth of the company um, and team development while I've also worked a lot on the branding and the product side. Um, but we definitely overlap on the product because it's definitely something that we are very passionate about and um, is at kind of the core of everything this company does. 
So what has the growth looked like for you guys since your start in 2014 to now in 2018? So we started, yeah, we started basically working after hours on top of our other jobs. And we were working, you know, at a coffee shops and home in a garage for a long time into Kickstarter. Even after Kickstarter, we had enough funds to actually move into an office because we knew we needed to raise money and hire new developers and engineers to kind of build the product and project and, and the team out for the future. And so since then, you know, we went from two to four to uh, today, we're now 20. We're in our second office. Um, and yeah, we've had this had this product on the market for uh, over half a year and, and looking towards the future and, and future products. How did you guys know that you needed to raise capital to get Narbox uh, to be ultimately successful? <laughs> Financial planning, I guess. This is, you know, you're just kind of thinking about the scope of work and the magnitude of the technology that needed to be developed. And you say, well, this needs a number of engineering hours and an engineer cost X amount. I mean, it was just a, it was a business exercise in saying we were going to need these resources to actually create this. And, um, you know, part of a lot of tech companies getting off the ground even is like, we're not even, weren't even necessarily looking for profitability after that first raise. Like we were looking to, you know, build growth and scale. Um, and, and that, and that was something that we just had to traject through, um, close planning and, and tight budgeting and trying to run underneath whatever burn rates we were actually setting for ourselves. That's so interesting. Now, did you have any mentors uh, along this journey? You know, there are a lot of mentors kind of come in and out of our circles in the sense of like whether they're a friend or someone else running a business or someone who's done it for a lot of years. Um, I think Tim has a lot more mentors mentors than I do. I like to learn from reading and uh, some of our team members who have experiences from other places and um, asking questions. Um, phoning a friend is a really common thing for me more so than sitting down with a mentor. Uh, but I think it's a great practice. And, you know, if I do get a good mentor that sticks around for a while, it's always a valuable, uh, valuable asset. Definitely. Now, um, one of the biggest aspects of Narbox is obviously the manufacturing and figuring that yep. aspect out. Right. So how did you go about, um, the process and making sure that you're, that you're doing it in the most sustainable way possible? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question for us because I think that at the core of kind of our uh, personal and company values a lot of times is how I think everyone in this company, and we have asked this question is, um, you know, how, like, is this something you value, right? And, and that's oftentimes what it comes down to. Also, just the, the, the general social responsibility that we hold. Um, but for us, like, electronics manufacturing is a very fixed supply chain world. There's only one Intel quad core processor that you could fit into your product that gets the job you need done. You're not picking from uh, a thousand different, you know, textile manufacturers around the world and seeking out those that are sustainable. So what we have to do in order to be uh, more, take a holistic approach to the supply chain um, to find that sustainable kind of value is really looking into the logistics side of things, right? So um, 
because I, I, I do feel strongly about this and did look closely at it and thought a lot about it going into the product. And, um, and, I, and, and what we actually did is we set up a supply chain that was very localized. Uh, our Intel is going to make their stuff where Intel makes their stuff and SanDisk is going to make their stuff where SanDisk makes their stuff. But it does get imported into the United States and it sits in the United States. And so we actually purchased, you know, our parts out of a factory in Southern, uh, out of a warehouse, I mean, in Southern California. We developed and manufactured the first product entirely in Santa Ana. So just down the road, we housed all the inventory in Los Angeles, just 30 miles from our factory. And then we distributed entirely out of there. And um, all of that, to me, just reduces your total carbon footprint um, because we're just not like if you're thinking about moving thousands and thousands of pounds, which does happen when you're just moving, say, the cardboard boxes that it goes into, you know, maybe you're saving a dollar per cardboard box if you're sourcing it from Taiwan. But if you're sourcing it from within Los Angeles and we did source uh, packaging from within Los Angeles, um, uh, we were able to kind of keep everything in one localized area and just reduce the carbon emission and total footprint on on the goods. But it is a challenge, and it isn't something that we're always going to be successful at, to be honest with you. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the culture behind behind Narbox. So there's a team of 20. You have a team of 20. You've grown quite a bit um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a pretty short period of time. What has it been like sort of uh, growing that culture and, and creating the environment that you and and Tim ultimately want to build. Uh, it's it's a it's a really fascinating process to be honest with you because when you go from two people, you build your own kind of culture, right? And then when you add a third person in, now you're the, the distribution of culture value of values is like now dramatically shifted. But as you go, you know, from three to ten, every time we added a person, the culture would change a little bit, um, at least at least enough. And then when we we're kind of growing and from there it was more of a established culture. So the culture itself was changing less and less every single time someone added, which means we were solidifying the cultural values. Um, I think what has defined us a lot is, are the practices that we keep. Um, for example, a daily standup where every single person in the company is gathered in the core central room of our office and you know, we just kind of report a couple different things from a couple different teams that and what's being worked on um, to, uh, you know, so those are the example of the process we do to. And the other thing is the environments that we work in. So, you know, our office is a really big defining part of our culture because we spend a lot of time here. A lot of us are tethered to computers in our development environments because we're primarily engineers. But what we do is some of our extra meeting rooms and how we hold meetings and uh really are where we've defined ourselves and you know i think we've put in some effort now that we're a more as i said a, a larger more established company to understand the values of everyone individually and kind of accumulate them as a whole through a series of exercises of questionnaires and you know kind of the typical like here take this test kind of experiences they're actually really really valuable to understand and then make known to everybody what our shared values are in a ranking that even makes sense. And you'll see, like, it's really obvious. Like, every single person in our company, after one of those experiences, was able to see that we value creativity over anything else in our value sets. And that um, that is one of the driving forces of why people come to work and enjoy doing what they do. 
So those exercises, making those values known and then sharing in those values and just kind of using that as a lens for everything we do is really powerful. I think that's so important. It's a really big aspect and important aspect of uh, startups and businesses that I feel like isn't really talked about that much. So a lot of founders and teams are sort of left to their own devices to sort of figure that out, mm-hmm. um, which can be great and also dangerous <laughs> at the same time. Oh, yeah, it can be dangerous. And in, in, in just saying like, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we were always fully act, like working. It's really easy to get driven on the work that you have and the go- things you need to accomplish. And, and over, it overlooks the people who are doing that work and how we may be feeling and what we if we're doing that work in a way that like reinforces our value set right and um being able to make decisions even if it's like what video team is going to build our next commercial based off of a set of values and if our values align with their values like that that's that's something that um you can turn you, you can turn your values into a tool for decision making and that's something that can bring people together as well what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about uh, starting and building Narbi? Um, you know, there's there's definitely a few things that come to mind, uh, but out of the gate, I, I think the the most challenging always has to do with just people and management. And it, like I said before, just said before, it's really easy to focus on the work and the work that needs to be got, be done. It's hard to always reinforce the people that are doing that work and making sure that everyone's happy. And when you take on the responsibility of other people's happiness and livelihoods and you're responsible for the environment that they are spending a lot of time in and blood, sweat and tears on, um, you need to make sure that that is uh, addressed and taken care of just as much as anything else. And that's something that you just need to acknowledge and and spend just as much time learning about and, and working on. Definitely. Now, uh, along uh, this journey, what would you say uh, has been one of your greatest fears and how do you manage that in regards to Narbach? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's there's always an ongoing fear in any business environment of of just, you know, I think of 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 taking on, of like having failure, right? Everyone's afraid of the company dying. And, you know, I think it can creep in your mind and it can grow during dark days. And I think that embracing failure as a part of your culture could be a good way to work through that. And that's something that, you know, it definitely takes a little bit of time to practice on, but you're going to find that not everything's going to be successful and there's going to be times where it hurts. And you just need to be able to analyze and learn from those experiences to only grow and avoid it in the future. Because what you don't want is the eventual downfall of of the entire company. But taking a loss um, is going to happen. And being able to take that loss and turn it into a positive is really what you have to do. Um, and and I, I know that's kind of <laughs> kind of high level. But, you know, the eventual doom and gloom stuff can creep in anybody's mind when you're looking at a a balance sheet that isn't working or a sales initiative that didn't go well or, you know, product launch that didn't um, experience the success that you projected. Yeah, no, it's, uh, there's so many different pieces to your business that it's so easy um, to get caught up in the pieces that are not quite working <laughs> the way you want mm-hmm. them to be. And it can 
it can stress you out. Um, it definitely does me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's a process of getting comfortable with that and realizing that you're not always going to be successful, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes that's okay. Exactly. Um, so, what were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made uh, with Narbox, and how did you uh, how do you deal with them? Yeah, uh, that's an Im- that's. <laughs> That's an important and pretty loaded question at times. Uh, <laughs> maybe personal, even, but not to let it go there. I'd say, um, you know, I think any time that we're not listening to our customers and staying nimble um, to react to what they're saying is uh, is a moment where we're we're making a mistake. That's a big mistake. And if you are being told one thing. And it's showing you a path that maybe you should go down, but you're already like really hard set on whatever path you may be on. I think it's valuable to recognize and listen to that voice and explore it and really give it the time of day. And I I think that we have always done that and we've continued to build tools and systems to listen to our customers and hear from them more often. But it's easy to create distance from them um, when you're occupied by work or building a company or moving into a bigger office and trying to develop that culture, you need to remember that you're more than just that. You're your customers too, and you're responsible for their opinions. And um, yeah, we've, we've, we've forgotten to listen to them at times and and it can hurt us in just this matter of time. Maybe we lost time. Maybe we overspent some money. Maybe we just told the wrong story um, and it came off the wrong way or, or whatever it was, but just respecting your customers and listening to them is always the most important thing. Now, before you and uh, Tim got started with Narbox, did you both uh, sort of know from when you were younger that you always wanted to start a business of, of some kind? Um, I wouldn't say that either of us were the serial entrepreneur types that had a dream of breaking out on our own. I just think that we're natural risk takers that um, can embrace and thrive in that environment. I mean, on our free time, we're avid backcountry skiers, which is not an extreme risk-taking practice. It's actually an extreme and dedicated practice in mitigating and managing risk, right? (laughs) Yeah, that is true. So so using that as... (laughs) as an analogy for us, it's like, yeah, I mean, like we, we enjoyed that process. And when we had the opportunity to make that something we did every day, which is managing and mitigating risk, um, analyzing and identifying through constant observation. Um, I'd say that that is, that is what, what gravitated us towards this. Now I did have a couple of side businesses like growing up. I don't even remember, man. Just like there, it's a fun process. But I wouldn't say that I was thinking I'm going to start my own business someday. I think it just <laughs> maybe was uh, as it like as a main goal that I had to do. I think it was just something that I was open to. Definitely. Now, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or really just the business in general? Yeah, I I mean, and I do get asked this question from. Friends, family members, strangers, um, friends of friends, right? I'm, I've got this idea, right? Uh, hey, Will, you've done this. What should I do? And I always just tell everybody, take a deep breath, think long and hard about it. And then if you're still sure about your idea, like 
you know, you can have a great idea, but you got to sit on it for a while. I do this all the time. This is a great idea. I'll keep it to myself for a week, you know, and just kind of hold it in and see if it sits and settles right. And, you know, maybe it's an idea people have had for years and years. And I think the only way to find out if it's worth anything is to go out there and kind of try and make it happen. But I always tell people, make sure that you, first of all, sit down and scope the entire business. So where are all the holes? Where are the risks? Analyze it, right? Poke holes in your idea. Figure out if there are competitors out there. Spend a lot of time researching it. Don't quit your day job. Do it during. Do that during the night. Like we spent the first six, seven months of our business just analyzing and spending it, doing that all after hours, after our normal jobs. Um, we held on to those as long as we could. Um, and then you know if you're if you're still sure about all these things, then you know, make sure you have clear, measurable goals. Make sure that you could do this in a lean and profitable way or definitely raise money on it and have the resources to do that. Um, and then, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you could balance balance your passion a little bit with like reality and, and make that work, then, then for sure, go for it. Where do you see Norbach in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning of, uh, of this interview um, or this conversation here, man, uh, our vision was to make the creative process easier for anyone with a camera. And that's just what we're going to keep doing, whether it's more hardware products, more software products. Um, we're going to keep making solutions that just try to streamline the way that people can produce their, their, their content so they can spend more time shooting and less time sitting behind a computer. I, I you know, I, I hope that we continue to grow and continue to launch more products. And, you know, this year we're working on a couple new stuff, both hardware and software we're really excited for. And uh, yeah, we'll just keep doing that, listening to our customers and learning and finding new ways to do exactly what we're here to do. I'm excited to see what you guys have coming down the pipeline. Uh, what's your favorite part about running Narbox? The best part is definitely just having the creative freedom to build things. And whether it's a marketing campaign or a team or a product, like we get to spend a lot of time putting a bunch of really good, good minds together and um yeah we get to be innovative we get to come up with good ideas we sometimes come up with bad ideas but we get to we get to learn and experiment and i think that creative freedom is really what kind of makes it exciting yeah i mean that's what it's all about right um Mm -hmm. now now for the listener that's uh listening to this episode between february 20th and march 13th they can actually head over to readyeddy.com to enter to win a narbox and a ton of other gear um, from Outdoor Startups. We've got a little over $2,000 worth of gear that we're giving away. So if you're interested, you can head over um, and enter to win. But with that, Will, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story. Um, for the listener that wants to keep tabs on everything you guys are doing uh, going forward, where's the best place for them to do that? Yes, the best place would be to go to narbox.com. We have um, a live chat dialogue there you can put your email address in and get emails um when we're back on kickstarter for the next product that'll be a really great place to to tag along for all the developments and updates um going forward definitely well will i again i really appreciate you sharing your story i'm really excited to see what you guys go uh do going forward and um yeah thanks for chatting thanks josh appreciate it If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself, 
And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.